When I grow up, I want to be a nurse. I want to help people. I want to build a life for myself and my family. And a future I don't have to worry about. For almost 50 years, Corn Market has supported public servants at every stage with all the financial products and advice you need, from health and car insurance to pension top-ups and more. Talk to us today at cornmarket.ie. Corn Market. Protecting the protectors. Corn Market Group Financial Services Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland, a member of the Irish Life Group Limited, which is part of the Great West Life Co. Group of Companies. This is Space Time Series 24, Episode 57, full broadcast on the 21st of May 2021. Coming up on Space Time, plans for a lunar crater radio telescope to illuminate the cosmic dark ages, a new lunar map ready for the return of humans to the surface of the moon, and getting ready for this month's supermoon lunar eclipse. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. NASA are looking at the idea of building a giant radio telescope in a crater on the far side of the moon. If approved, the project would help astronomers probe the cosmic dark ages, a period lasting for a few hundred million years after the Big Bang 13.82 billion years ago until the first stars began to shine. The telescope's primary objective would be to measure the long wavelength radio waves generated by gas that would have filled the universe during the cosmic dark ages. Joseph Lazio from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, says while there were no stars, there was ample hydrogen during the universe's dark ages. And that hydrogen would eventually serve as the raw material for those first stars. With a sufficiently large radio telescope off Earth, astronomers could track the processes that would eventually lead to the formation of the first stars, and maybe even find clues about the nature of dark matter. Radio telescopes on Earth can't probe this mysterious period in cosmic history because the 10-metre-long wavelength radio waves stretched by the cosmic expansion from this period are reflected by a layer of ions and electrons at the top of the atmosphere in the region known as the ionosphere. Another problem are random radio emissions from human activity interfering with and drowning out the faintest signals. But there is no atmosphere to reflect these signals on the moon, and positioning such a telescope on the far side would allow the moon itself to block out Earth's radio chatter. And that makes the lunar far side prime real estate to carry out an unprecedented study of the early universe. But to be sensitive to long radio wavelengths, the lunar crater radio telescope would need to be huge. The idea would be to create a parabolic dish antenna more than a kilometre wide in a crater around three kilometres across. Now, by comparison, the biggest dish radio telescopes on Earth, like the 500-metre aperture spherical telescope in China and the now-defunct 305-metre-wide Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico, were built inside natural bowl-like depressions in the landscape to provide a supporting structure. This class of radio telescope uses thousands of reflecting panels suspended inside the depression to make the entire dish's parabolic surface reflective to radio waves. A receiver then hangs metres above the dish from a series of suspension cables anchored by towers at the dish's perimeter, 
and receiving radio waves bouncing off the curved surface below. But despite its size and complexity, giant dishes like that in China and Arecibo weren't sensitive enough to radio wavelengths longer than about 4.3 metres. This new lunar project would eliminate the need to transport prohibitively heavy materials to the moon's surface and it would utilise robots to automate the construction process. Instead of using thousands of reflective panels to focus incoming radio waves, the Lunar Crater Radio Telescope would be made out of thin wire mesh in the centre of the crater. One spacecraft would deliver the mesh and a separate lander would deposit the duaxial rovers which would be used to build up the dish over several days or weeks. Duaxle is a robotic concept being developed by JPL. Each robot is basically composed of two single-axle rovers that can undock from each other but stay connected by a tether. One half would act as an anchor at the rim of the crater while the other repels down to do the actual building and connecting of the wires, applying the tension and then lifting the wires to suspend the antenna. One of the biggest challenges, however, will be working out how to maintain the dish's parabolic shape and the precise spacing between the wires. The mesh needs to be both strong and flexible, yet also lightweight enough to be transported. And it needs to be able to withstand the extreme temperature changes on the moon's surface, from as low as minus 173 degrees Celsius at night to a scorching 127 degrees Celsius in daylight. And it needs to be able to handle all this without warping or failing. Also, while the lunar far side is radio quiet for now, that could change in the future. China's space agency already has a mission exploring the lunar far side and they have plans to further develop the lunar surface for mining, which could impact possible radio astronomy projects. So there are a lot of hurdles to overcome. And for the next two years, the project's team will continue working to identify the various challenges which the project will have to meet. We'll keep you informed. This is Space Time. Still to come a new lunar map ready for the return of humans to the lunar surface, and getting ready for this month's supermoon lunar eclipse, all you need to know. All that and much more still to come on Space Time. Scientists have put together a detailed new geologic map of the lunar South Pole region in order to help astronauts who are expected to be walking there within the next three and a half years. A report in the Planetary Science Journal claims the new map of the Schrodinger Basin region includes significant geological features in the area and at least three potential lunar rover paths in order to guide future exploration missions. Located near the lunar South Pole, Schrodinger Basin is the second youngest impact basin on the Moon and includes many diverse crustal features and rock types which are important for understanding the Moon's geological history. The impact event which formed Schrodinger Basin uplifted rock lithologies from deep below the lunar surface. Therefore, studying these exposed rocks up close will provide important insights into lunar geology and evolution. The new map was created by Ellen Zablinski and colleagues from the Lunar and Planetary Institute. In 2007, the National Research Council outlined scientific objectives and goals for future lunar missions, including exploration of the South Pole Atkin Basin, the oldest and deepest impact basin on the Moon. And because the Schrodinger Basin is located within the South Pole Atkin Basin, it presents a unique opportunity to study rocks that possibly originated deep below the surface. 
Many of these rock types are exposed at the surface in multi-kilometre long rock outcrops in Schrodinger's Peak Ring, an inner ring of uplifted rocks that formed within the basin as part of a rebound from the impact event itself. Sampling rocks within the Peak Ring provides high scientific potential for further understanding the context of Schrodinger's lithologies. Along with the map itself, researchers also created three potential paths for rovers to travel through the Schrodinger Basin in order to collect high-priority rock samples. NASA's Artemis III mission is slated to take two astronauts to the lunar surface in 2024. The mission will feature a crew of four launching into translunar orbit aboard NASA's new Orion spacecraft mounted on the agency's new heavy-lift SLS rocket. Orion will take the crew to the Gateway Space Station, which will be located in cislunar space. Gateway will act as a sort of staging post for missions going down to the lunar surface. Two of the Artemis III crew members will then board a SpaceX Starship, which will be pre-positioned at Gateway, which will then be used to shuttle the astronauts down to the lunar surface and provide a base of operations while they're down there before returning them to Gateway, where they'll once again transfer into the Orion capsule for the journey back to Earth. This is Space Time. Still to come, getting ready for this month's supermoon lunar eclipse, and China launches more remote sensing satellites. All that and more, still to come on Space Time. Okay, let's take a break from our show for a word from our new sponsor, NordVPN. Like everyone, you want to protect your data and stay safe online. So you need to do what I do, and that is use NordVPN. NordVPN is simply the world's most advanced VPN service provider. They offer double data encryption and a strict no-logging policy. They're also rated number one for speed and have access points in more than 60 countries around the globe, with more being added all the time. When you think about it, with all the threats and dangers in the cyber world today, you really do need to include a virtual private network as part of your digital security package. Whether it's for work or for your family's privacy, NordVPN will keep your data under wraps, and it will also allow you through those frustratingly geo-blocked sites, and it's all at affordable prices. Now, to get you started this week, we have a special offer. Not only will you be getting the world's most advanced VPN, but you'll also be helping to support space time. Just go to nordvpn.com slash Gary, or use the coupon code StuartGary to get a two-year plan plus one additional month, all with a huge discount. That URL again is nordvpn.com slash Gary, or use the coupon code StuartGary at the checkout. And of course, you'll find the URL details in the show notes and on the Spacetime website. You're listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. If you're in Australia, parts of the Western United States, Western South America or Southeast Asia, you'll get to witness a supermoon total lunar eclipse on May the 26th. A total lunar eclipse happens when the Sun, Earth and Moon all align with the moon passing completely through the Earth's dark shadow or umbra, blocking out sunlight from directly reaching the lunar surface. Instead, the sunlight first passes through and is refracted by the Earth's atmosphere, resulting in Rayleigh scattering, leaving only the longer red wavelengths to reach the surface of the moon. 
Now, depending on how different types of dust particles and clouds in Earth's atmosphere affect the light, the lunar surface will glow anywhere from pink to blood red. The celestial spectacular begins at 1847 Australian Eastern Standard Time. That's 8.47 in the morning Greenwich Mean Time. Reaching totality by 21.11 Eastern in the evening or 11.11 a.m. GMT. But it's a short total lunar eclipse this time round, lasting only around a quarter of an hour. That's due to the orbital mechanics involved. But adding to the spectacle, and again because of the orbital mechanics involved, will be the fact that it's occurring during a so-called supermoon, meaning a full moon, which is at or near perigee, its closest orbital position to the Earth. Now, as we mentioned in last month's tutorial, on average the moon orbits around 384,400 kilometres away from the Earth. But the moon's orbit around the Earth isn't circular, but rather slightly elliptical. One part of the orbit will be a bit closer to the Earth, around 357,000 kilometres, that's known as perigee, and another part of the orbit will be a bit further away, around 406,000 kilometres, that's apogee. Now, what all this means is that technically a perigee full moon will appear up to 14% larger and 30% brighter than an apogee full moon. Although in reality, you wouldn't have noticed the difference if we hadn't told you. And this month's supermoon will be an itsy bitsy bit bigger. That's a scientific term. That's because it'll be 158 kilometres closer to the Earth than April's event, although you still won't be able to pick the difference, at least not without using astronomical measuring equipment. This month's Australian Sky and Telescope magazine has a special guide to the event. So, joining us now to talk about it is the magazine's editor, Jonathan Nally. So this is a total eclipse of the moon. Total eclipse of the moon, of course, is the safe one to see. You can go out and have a look at it. The eclipses of the sun are the dangerous ones where you shouldn't be looking at the sun. But eclipses of the moon, if you've got a clear sky, get out and have a look. And astronomers have been waiting for a while for a total eclipse. I think it's been almost around about two years since the last we last had a total lunar eclipse. We've had some um, pretty poor partial eclipses in that time. But this one's going to be a total on May the 26th. Remember that date, May the 26th? But totality will not last long this time. Sometimes it can last for a couple of hours or so. This time it's only going to be 18 minutes. 18 minutes. So from uh, in Australian Eastern Standard Time, it's going to be from 9.10pm to 9.28pm on May the 26th. That's in Australian Eastern Standard Time. You can work that out for your own time zone just by the usual sort of conversion. The partial phase of the eclipse will begin at 7.45pm. So you'll be able to see it starting then with a little chunk taken out of the moon and then it, it'll get to totality at, at 10 past 9, come out of totality at half past 9, and then you'll see the partial phase as it goes from totality back towards normal moon. So this is going to be the only total lunar eclipse visible from Australasia this year. The whole eclipse will be visible from New Zealand and Australia's eastern states. For South Australia and the Northern Territory, the early part of the, uh, the, the what we call the penumbral phase, the early part of the eclipse, will already be underway by the time evening twilight comes around. While from Western Australia, what we call the umbral phase, will still be underway as twilight is ending. So it depends on where you are in the country, how much you will see. The moon might go a little bit red during totality, but not as red as it can be when the moon goes through right through the centre of Earth, the darker part of its shadow. This time the moon is going to be completely immersed in the darker part of Earth's shadow, the umbra, but sort of right on the edge. So it's not going to be right in the middle where the red 
rays of light bend through Earth's atmosphere and then find their way onto the moon. And as I said, of course, lunar eclipses, completely safe to watch. You don't need a telescope or anything like that. Just get out and have a look. Solar eclipses are the dangerous ones, so steer clear of those. Now, lunar eclipses always come within two weeks before or after a solar eclipse, don't they? That's right. Yeah, you get you get a um, solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse are paired by um, two weeks apart, but they're, they're visible generally different parts of the world. So if you see this uh, total lunar eclipse this time, you're not going to see the, uh, the solar eclipse necessarily. And the next solar eclipse, by the way, will be an annular eclipse on June the 10th and best seen from northern Greenland, parts of Baffin Bay, eastern Hudson Bay, northern Russia, and uh, there'll be a, a, a ring of fire there for you, for you to see. That'll be summertime. Oh, yeah, we should... it'll be very nice. Think of the white snow and the, yeah. the, the ring of fire, the circle there. Think too with a lunar eclipse is that to see totality of a lunar eclipse, you just have to be on the right half of the Earth. You just have to be where it's you're on the side of the Earth that's pointed towards the moon. Whereas to see totality of a solar eclipse, you've got to be on a very narrow strip of Earth because the, the shadow of the moon cast by the sun forms just a very narrow strip. It can be only you know, kilometres wide across the face of the Earth. So you've got to be in exactly the right spot, which is why people who get the eclipse bug, or the solar eclipse bug, do travel all over the world to weird and wonderful places to, to see their next one. Whereas the lunar eclipse, as long as you're on the right half of the world at the time, and you've got a clear sky, go out and have a look. That's Jonathan Nally, the editor of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine. And don't forget, if you're having trouble getting your copy of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine from your usual retailer because of the current lockdown and travel restrictions, you can always get a print or digital subscription and have the magazine delivered directly to your letterbox or inbox. Subscribing's easy. Just go to skyandtelescope.com.au. That's skyandtelescope.com.au and you'll never be left in the dark again. This is Space Time. Still to come, China launching even more remote sensing satellites. And later in the science report, another seven people suspected of suffering blood clots caused by the AstraZeneca vaccine. All that and much more still to come on Space Time. Summer of savings at Curry's PC World. Bring the sporting atmosphere home with our unmissable deals on large screen 4K TVs. Work, study or gaming, we've got the laptop to suit you and your budget. And upgrade your kitchen with big brand washing machines including Samsung, Bosch and LG. Shop online at curries.ie. China has launched more remote sensing satellites into orbit. The satellites were part of a constellation of nine spacecraft launched into orbit aboard a Long March 6 rocket from the Taiyuan Satellite Launch Center in northern China's Jiangxi province. The mission included the Kolu-1 and Kolu-4 remote sensing satellites. They're each equipped with side aperture radars to obtain microwave ground images of surface features under all weather conditions day and night. Beijing claims the probes are designed to monitor construction, agriculture, forestry and land survey projects around East China's Shandong province. However, the spacecraft will also be used by the People's Liberation Army to monitor China's enemies and keep an eye on its assets. Other satellites launched as part of the same mission are testing new space platform technologies, primarily for data acquisition, communications and remote sensing. This is Space Time.
And time now to once again take a brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. There's more bad news for Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine recipients with seven people suffering blood clots after taking the jab. If confirmed, it brings the Australian total to 18. And unlike earlier indications suggesting the danger was mostly for those under 50, the latest victims include a 74-year-old man, a 51-year-old woman from Victoria, a 66-year-old man from Queensland, a 64-year-old woman from Western Australia, and a 70-year-old man from Tasmania. Authorities stress the likelihood of getting a blood clot from the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine is still extremely rare. There have been just 18 cases out of nearly 3 million injections. The new Australian results follow a large study of 280,000 adults from Denmark and Norway, which also looked at the risk of blood clots from the AstraZeneca dose. A report in the British Medical Journal found 59 blood clots in the veins, compared with the 30 that were expected, and it included a higher than expected rate of blood clots in veins of the brain, known as cerebral venous thrombosis. The new data highlights concerns that the AstraZeneca adenovirus vaccine is also a potential issue for older people, not just those under 50, suggesting that there in reality may in fact be no difference in risk factors based on age, and reinforcing the need for additional research to better understand this condition and its mechanisms. For Australians, the federal government's answer has been to order 25 million doses of the Moderna mRNA vaccine to supplement the existing 40 million doses of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine now being administered. Australia is also continuing vaccination with the AstraZeneca adenovirus vaccine, of which 54 million doses were ordered. And there are also 51 million doses of the yet-to-be-approved Novavax jab planned. So in total, that's 170 million vaccine doses with current plans seeing the population getting two jabs three months apart, followed by a booster sometime next year to deal with the new variants of the COVID-19 virus, and possibly every year after that, just like the annual flu shot. Almost 3.5 million people have now been killed by the COVID-19 virus, with another 160 million infected since the deadly disease first emerged from Wuhan, China, and was spread around the world. A new study shows that vegetarians appear to have healthier levels of biomarkers that can help prevent illnesses like cancer and heart disease. The findings reported to the European Congress on Obesity are based on a study of 4,100 vegetarians and 166,000 meat-eaters. However, while the vegetarians had a better overall biomarker profile, they were more likely to have lower levels of some beneficial biomarkers, such as vitamin D and calcium. The authors say this observational study can't prove what causes the healthier profile. But the nutritional differences between meat-eaters and vegetarians may be part of the explanation. Scientists have discovered there are at least four distinct species of giraffe. The findings reported in the journal Current Biology are based on the sequencing of genomes of 50 giraffe representing all traditionally recognized subspecies. The results strengthened previous findings of limited gene flow among giraffes in different parts of Africa. Until recently, giraffes were widely recognized as one single species with several subspecies. But the new genetic analysis supports the idea of four distinct species branching out into seven subspecies. These include the northern giraffe with subspecies the Cordophon, the Nubian and the West African giraffe. Then there's the Maasai giraffe, which includes the Luangwa or Thornycroft giraffe subspecies. 
The third species is the southern giraffe, which includes the Angolan and South African giraffe as subspecies. And finally, there's the fourth species known as the reticulated giraffe. It's believed the four separately evolving lineages diverged about 230,000 to 370,000 years ago. Giraffe populations have declined sharply over the past century due to human activity, with just 117,000 giraffes now left in the wild. Scientists are looking at developing an oxygen-rich liquid enema, which could be administered through the rectum to those who don't have access to ventilators or artificial lungs because of the critical shortage caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The idea, reported in the journal Med, comes from a team of researchers who are studying marine animals that employ a rectum breathing system. In what might be a slightly horrific dystopian future, the researchers say that this method could provide a viable means of giving oxygen to people in respiratory distress. Iran is the latest nation to be targeted by shonksters promoting phony cures for COVID-19. Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics says those pushing these pseudoscientific treatments are warning people against COVID-19 vaccines, claiming that they'll turn you gay. Well, there are, I mean, sort of Iran, you will recall that uh, when COVID first broke out was one of the places where it hit hard, first of all. No one was quite sure how hard it hit because their statistics that they put out were pretty poor, unreliable in many cases. They probably didn't know how many cases they had. But it gave rise and potential, as it has done everywhere, for quack cures to be suggested. And in, in Iran's case because there's a strong underpinning to everything they do of religion. It's in some cases it's the religious authorities that are actually promoting these quack cures. Some of them might not be mullahs or religious people or you know, religious leaders themselves. One person said before going to sleep put a cotton ball soaked in violet oil into your anus, which I know is going to cure you from um, Bummer. Uh, from COVID. But he had this person had uh, has 200,000 followers online, and that person also said they'd be aware of coronavirus vaccines because they'll turn you gay. And we have similar things here, quite frankly. We have you know, the usual quacks and things often crop up, but they tend not to come from the religious side of things, from oh, religious yes, authorities. Some of them do. Some of them yeah, do. some of them do. I know, but it depends on what we. It depends on also if you're talking fringe. Or yeah. mainstream. Yeah. I mean, most of the mainstream, you know, you, you mainstream Christian, whatever, do support coronavirus vaccines and do understand what, that it is a, a real thing. But sipping hot camel urine is probably not going to help. And uh, that's another one of the cures. There's all sorts of things. Of course, there's also suggestions that Iran has had a long history of uh, Western influence, at the, to be say the nicest way, or control generally over the years, especially pre-Second World War. And some of the people believe that coronavirus is there for a colonial conspiracy dreamed up by Zionists and the British to actually uh, destroy the Islamic Republic. It's but funny, they've it, got to get the Jews involved, don't they, no matter what happens? Well, they have to, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, but, how disgusting. But it's it's... Part of the course, you know, it's, it's, it's what they do. But, the, but these sort of things, pseudoscience, especially pseudo-medicine in these particular cases are rampant, as they are in many cases, and but they have also the imprimatur of uh, religion element to it. That's Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics. This is an important announcement from the Department of Social Protection. If you have been in receipt of the COVID-19 pandemic unemployment payment and are now returning to work, this message is for you you must ensure that you stop your payment on your first day back at work. The simplest way to do this is online at www.mywelfare.ie. For more information, visit gov.ie forward slash DSP COVID-19 or call the Income Support Helpline on 1890 800 024. Brought to you by the Government of Ireland.
that's the show for now. Space Time is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Space Time's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial-free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group, and other rewards. Just go to SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimeWithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 